Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. How do you respond when a publisher or audience rejects your creative project? How do you build your creative resilience, especially when your work is personal? These questions provide the foundation for my conversation with author Kate Mason. Her memoir, Everything is Perfect, is now available in print, and she shares the creative journey from 49 rejections to self-publishing. We also discuss the differences between audio and printed books, the role of grieving in our creative process, and why we are more than just rational minds. Regardless of your medium, Kate's wisdom can help you work through the struggles that every artist faces in their creative journey. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 645. Welcome back to Getting Work to Work. I think the last time we talked was Christmas time last year. So this is just going to be our our own holiday special. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. I love that. It was around Christmas time. That's right. That's yeah. right. I'm so happy to be here and talking to you, Chris. This is great. I can't imagine a, a better person that I would want to talk to around this time because you're so hopeful. You're so giving on your creative wisdom. And I can't wait for people to hear what you have to offer this week. Oh, thank you, Chris. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. One of the things that is exciting is your first book is now out in print. And the last time we talked, it had just released on Audible. So congratulations on it being in print. Thank you so much. I'm, I couldn't be more thrilled. I really could not be more thrilled. It's a different thing to release a book in audio. And I did that first, which was highly um, unorthodox, shall we put it that way. <laughs> yes. um, but I always tend to do things backwards. So, <laughs> so um, but now that it's out in print, I really feel um, so gratified and happy I saw it through to this to this point. Why did you decide to release it in audio first? Uh, good question. Um, this book was rejected soundly by um, every publisher that my agent sent it to. I think I'm at a total of 49 rejections, which wow. I know there are people out there who could talk about hundreds, but for me, 49 is plenty. <laughs> and um, in the end, the editor, my editor at Audible was the one who my agent had said it, sent it to her kind of as a, you know, an afterthought. I'm going to send it to Carrie Colon at Audible because I've worked with her and I love her and I think she'll really get your book. And she was the brave soul that uh, took the book on. And it was a great experience. Um, but in my heart of hearts, I was still longing for, you know, my words on a page in chapters <laughs> between a cover. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm finally there. Yeah. That's so interesting, though, because like when we think about writing today in, in the 21st century, audio is very much a part of that. And I've never really considered the difference between 
that experience of our words in audio versus the written word? You know, my brother-in-law, who is a philosopher, scholar, uh, lawyer, Berkeley, you know, type, he described it to me in a really interesting way. What did he say? Because he's both read it now and he listened to it when it was out on Audible, which it's still out there. He said that for him, listening to it in my voice Mm -hmm. was such an enriching experience because he could hear in my voice how much certain things mattered to me. My description of flying into L.A. at night and, you know, the lights, um, you know, unfurling. And for him, it was an experience that colored my words with my voice Mm -hmm. reading it at least from my standpoint and i will say i i felt really fortunate that i got to listen to my myself read it and then revise it which i did revise it for um i did some revisions prior to the print and what a gift you know most people their book goes out there and you can't you know I, every author I've ever talked to said, oh God, I'd go back. I'd change this, I'd change this. I'd, and I got to do that. So I feel, I feel really grateful. But for me, there's still something about the words on the page and the way the paragraphs are structured and how each chapter leads into the next that I think when you're reading and and as a as an avid reader myself, creating that momentum in my head through the written word and painting those pictures myself, mm-hmm. there's something very um, well. It's it's propulsive. You know, you want to keep going. Yeah, it's a very different experience, and. Um, I've had a few people who had listened to it and have read it and said, oh, my God, what a what an interesting difference in that experience. I wonder, as you were describing the different experience that you get from listening versus reading, I wonder how empathy shifts, because mm. you know, empathy is one of those things that I get a lot from reading, mm. allowing mm. myself to bring everything that I am into a, a book. Exactly. And when you hear someone else's voice, empathy is totally different. I think you're absolutely right because you're, you are, you know, when I've listened to uh, one of my favorite listens, which I usually read the book and listen if they're, you know, because I need, I need both when I really want to immerse myself. Um, Ghost in the Throat. I don't know if you know of that, but, um, and I can't say her name. She's got the most beautiful Irish name. It's terrible. But listening to her tell this story of motherhood, but also researching this poet was so evocative and this beautiful Irish brogue, you know, just heaven. But reading it and seeing the way for, you know, when you're a writer, there's something about the way a sentence is constructed and seeing it on the page and reading it, you can read it over, whereas the audio just keeps moving. And I think it's 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 just a very different, very different experience. I know it is for me, but yeah. anyway. It, it is interesting, too, because as you describe in perfect form, 
the way writers write. It's like that perfect sentence shape. Yeah. And I was just flashing back on this book that I'm reading, this collection of interviews with Werner Herzog. Mm. And just there's these really long sentences and, and just like, yes, that is what happens when you transcribe are the words that we're speaking versus the words that we're writing. Yeah. We we speak in really long run-on sentences, yes. but we write more concisely and succinctly. Yeah. Yeah, it's it it's fascinating. You know, and in hindsight, I'm glad I've had both experiences. I'm also grateful that my my story was already out in the world because there was a lot of anxiety for me around um this memoir and publishing it. And so when I got the Audible deal, I remember saying to my agent afterwards, it's like, okay, maybe this is the perfect way for my characters to hear, you know, to, to, because they have to hear it in my voice. And um, I think in hindsight, it might've been the right way. I mean, I believe, you know, everything is perfect. Uh <laughs> That is the title by my of my book, by the way, but um, it ended up working well for me, I think. How do you get through 49 rejections when you're working on something so, so, so personal? It was devastating, Chris. It was really devastating. Um, I think for me, the thing that was so difficult was I believed in this book and these stories, these scenes I was writing, and um, mostly the ones around my children and what I did to get through this particularly difficult period in my life, uh, you know, wearing Groucho Marx glasses to the grocery <laughs> store so that I had a disguise and giving them to my kids and, you know, so that we could giggle and laugh instead of, you know, the nightmare we were living through and they were so important. And I believed in, I believed in the message of this book, which is really about learning to trust your intuition and, and what happens when you don't, or you ignore it. I believed in that so deeply. And then to have it rejected, I was feeling such self just huge disappointment that I could have believed in something so deeply and been so wrong. You know, I spent seven years of my life, you know, working on this and to have it dismissed, not because of the writing. And I want to just say those rejections were glowing, like <laughs> couldn't put this down, but because of the subject matter, because of you know, one person in particular that is part of my story, not the whole book, it's my story, but she happens to show up there. They they couldn't figure out a way to market it. So that was that was heartbreaking. And it really calls into question who who gets to tell their story, you know? And um it was funny, I was listening to uh a thing about, you know, the new Netflix series with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Mm -hmm. And they are telling a story about people that everyone knows, everyone has an opinion about, and and what they're facing when they're telling their truth in the light of a whole culture and country who probably would prefer they didn't. Right. And it's much bigger on a much bigger scale, but not all that dissimilar uh, in 
how do you tell a story when your story involves people or, you know, that are in the news or, you know, it's, it's a tricky, you know, and in the end, I, I just changed everyone's names for all kinds of reasons, even though it's pretty clear who, who the characters are. <laughs> yeah. And that was just kind of save myself and kind of out of respect for this story, you know? Yeah. It's, it was, it was really heartbreaking, but I will say, I just need to say that the final rejection came. So I did the audible thing. Audible had a hold back. I wasn't able to start sending the book out for print for like seven months after the audible thing. And so then my agent and I, I made the revisions we started sending it out again. Oh my God, couldn't put this down. And, but still, you know, I think that was uh, 40 through 49. I think we were at 40 when we started sending it out. And the last one I got was from, I won't say who, but it was like the best <laughs> rejection. I mean, I have it on my wall. It was like something like we, loved this memoir. We could not put it down. Oh my God, when this happened, when this happened, when this happened, when this happened, but, you know, and it was the same thing. We just don't know how to bring this book to market. And that was the day I said, okay, I'm self-publishing because I need to get this project of mine, this baby, I need to birth it so that I can get on with, you know, it's it's been a really um fantastic experience and it's it's you know it's finding its way in the world and i'm very gratified and so grateful for all the people that are reading it and writing reviews and and sending their comments and emails to me it's it's really gratifying so one of the interesting things kate is oftentimes when we're faced with rejection in terms of our creative expression. Mm. The advice that we receive from people is, well, you just need to separate yourself from your art. <laughs> How do you do that, though, when you're writing memoir, when you're writing your truth, when you're writing your story? Yeah, I don't think it's possible, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's possible. Um, I think, especially for memoirists, you have to be either insane or compelled to tell your story. And, um, oh, and at times between the two, <laughs> yeah, they really, really. And this was something, this story was, I always say, you know, people say, have you always been a writer? Well, you, you know, kind of, sort of, but I never dreamed I'd write a book. This story made me a writer. I could not write this story. It was just so, um, unbelievable and, you know, stranger than fiction, you know, and, um, and it was really about my trajectory, what the choices I made and the, excuse me, shit I landed in as a result and how I came out of that and the incredible life that that all gifted me that process. So, I knew there was value there for me, and I hoped, you know, there'd be value for my my readers. But I think the rejection part 
I mean, it's flattening. I would say that I spent, um, I mean, the rejections started rolling in. Uh, we got the Audible deal at the, mm, finally in 2019, I think. It didn't come out until, you know, 2021. And I was still grieving. I I was grieving that whole time, you know, the recording of it, all of it, because my end goal was always, you know, I'm one of those writers and I know other people that do this. You know, you go into Powell's and you go to the memoir and you think, okay, and you alphabetize your last name and you make a little split there and you say, okay, that's where my book is going to sit on that shelf. And to not have that, it just felt like it was depressing. You know, it's taken me getting it out there in print to really be, to have my mind now free to be working on book two, which um, it's really, I mean, it was last Christmas, I think, when I talked to you where um, my husband had put up a big Christmas tree in my studio and on it, he had done you know, printouts, book two, book two, book two, book two. And I thought, you know, I pulled those out with the ornaments and I thought, oh, I'm finally there. But I had to get this one. I had to get this one out. But it's very hard and very painful when you're writing memoir and they're, um, the response from, pub, you know, the big publishers. Right. And, you know, I had lots of early interest. Oh, I'm so excited about this. We're, I'm going to bring it before the board and then, <laughs> right. you know, the board, you know, so it, it's a very, uh, it's a roller coaster, but I like to say it's a pot, a road full of potholes. And <laughs> boy, did I, I, I really fell into a lot of them. <laughs> right. So, because I, I I imagine as a writer, when you hear the word self-publish, you know, you're thinking one thing of like, oh, am I not good enough to be right. published in any other way? Yeah. But I think there is also a tremendous freedom in taking control of the publishing experience, especially when it is a story that is that no one wants to publish because they don't right. know how to market it. Right. And I think the thing that's fascinating for me about that, my my journey in particular, is that when I started really in earnest writing this, God, was it 2014, 2015? Self-publishing was still pretty frowned upon. I mean, that was not my goal ever, you know, and there is that, but things have changed. Mm -hmm. I would say the majority of people I talk to these days are really considering that route because you do have control. You also get, um, you know, your, your outlay at, you know, at the beginning, depending on what route you go can be tremendous, but the royalties are yours. And it's, I think the whole issue though, of being able to really craft it in the way that is, right for you is huge and there is freedom in that and and grace and huge gifts in that so um you know i got so much pushback from changing a particular character's name and then they couldn't publish it cuz that person's name was in it and then i 
say, okay, well, I'm happy to do this. No, we can't publish it. If you change, you know, it was just like, I couldn't win. Mm -hmm. So in the end, doing it myself and knowing that I made that decision to change those names for me. And that's what felt right in my heart. I mean, in a huge way, it's like, okay, once you know what's right for you and you don't have the powers that be telling you can't, or you can, or you won't, or we won't. It's like, oh my God, huge, huge. So um, yeah, I would encourage writers out there who, you know, are looking at self-publishing versus getting an agent. And I love my agent and, you know, um, love her, love her, love her. But I think it's a valid absolutely valid and very rewarding path to take. Very encouraging, actually. Something that you just said made me think about our initial conversation last year. Yeah. Where you said the book was about intuition Mm. and trusting your intuition. And it Mm. sounds like to a certain degree, when, when you're making these decisions to change character names, to go down the route of self publishing, to allow yourself to shift genres for your second book. Yep. That to me sounds like an evolution of your intuition. Absolutely. Oh, I just got goosebumps, Chris. It's true. It's true. Every step of the way, that gift that I honed all those years ago, um, while I was living, everything is perfect as it was not. And um, they're with me every day. And um you know, I'm always one for, you know, I see things, you know, if I have having a thought and I look at my phone and it's 1111, I know, baby, I'm, I'm in the right place at the right time and having the right mentation about that conundrum. So um, I do see that. And I love that you, you put that together, Chris, because it's, it's true. I think yeah, what a gift, honestly, to learn the um, the value in that. And honestly, I just got a Goodreads review this morning from this. I mean, it just made me want to uh, cry. I'm just good. She just said, you know, that, oh, my God, this book fell into my lap at the exact right moment. I've always been one to doubt my intuition and watching Kate go through her, you know, reading as she goes through her choices that she made when she chose to ignore it. And then the way that she came through that, she said, I just, it was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I needed. And I, I just feel so grateful that that women out there are are you know seeing themselves but also seeing oh my god yes that's very gratifying truly here's to the power of our our guts our intuition yeah. because that really is our gift you know it's 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 a gift it is a gift and i don't think there's enough credit out there in the world for our intuition uh, especially in like the creative entrepreneurship world. I, I think you're right. Air quotes there because like yeah. 
it's it's all about this mechanical uh very methodical very statistic and quantitative approach whereas art is very much about our feelings and our right. emotions and and right. the, those ideas that come and broadside us in a three-car pile up on Barnes yeah. road exactly exactly no it's so true and because our society excuse me that are you know patriarchal they have you know it's it's all about the rational mind well we are more than that yeah. we have uncanny abilities that we are only understanding that we can tap into and i think there are ways to you know hone that and raise it up above so that those voices in our head or those, you know, ways of being in the world are at least on par. For me, they're, you know, miles above because, you know, my life shows me over and over again that that is a value that we can't, we can't negate. And I think still our culture, you know, it's why women are told, you know, are gaslit. It's like you're, you know, oh, you're making that up. You're crazy, whatever. Well, we're not, and we're not crazy. And we know something. And a lot of times we don't want to know it, which was part of my journey. It's like, what do we know? When do we know it? And when are we willing to know it? You know, and those things are all different. Right. You come into that in different stages. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about that in the context of rejection. Mm. So in, in some ways, the system wants to keep you in this process of submission and sharing your words so that they can reject you and keep control of you in this system. Oh, wow. Yeah. But it wasn't until you busted out of that cycle of rejection to where you could start getting these reviews on Goodreads. Right. Where people could experience the story and share. So in, how can we as artists go from rejection to review? Like that's almost the journey that we have to wow. go. Wow. Yeah. That's really, um, that's incredible. Um, I think it really begins in knowing that you know things, that you have a vision. And sometimes the vision isn't fully articulated yet. It's just to use that, a part of that, a tickle. Mm -hmm. And you need to follow that. And I think that the adventure is in honing our ability to trust that. And I think you're absolutely right about the culture that wants to keep us, you know, and I think the power in self-publishing at this point is that we do get to take that back and say, no, wait a minute. My husband's a visual artist and he's getting a big show ready for January. It's the PDX gallery here in Portland. And watching his process, you know, with the pieces that he's, you know, his studio's right next on the other side of this wall and to just have us both like in these spaces where, um, you know, he's like, okay, what about 
this. And I said, okay, well, what is this telling you versus what that? And it's just a fascinating thing to, um, to nurture that creative process and know that our intuitive beings, um, you said it, art is about an intuition. It's about intuitive honing those gifts and going with them, you know? I mean, how did Jackson Pollock know that he was just going to start spattering <laughs> plant, you know? Right. And the pushback. I mean, the pushback that Rothko got, you know, the all of that that is now such a profound part of our art world. And um yeah, I think it's I think it's fascinating. So in, in a way, it sounds like great art is made when you not only listen to your intuition, but you learn to trust it and put it out there no matter what is said in regard to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, rejection is, it sucks. I mean, there's no way around it. It hurts. It really hurts. But when we as creative people are driven to create, you can't not do it or a part of you dies. And I mean, I mean, I mean that in, you know, life gets flat. And um, I would say that, you know, that year of rejections for me, I was pretty flat. I was pretty decimated. And it was hard for me to write, to think, to, to think creatively. To, I mean, it was, it, it, it flattens you. And um, I think when we're really driven, eventually there's like, you got to put your toe back in the water and then, you know, slowly start to swim again. I think that's, that's what we do. I mean, I think that's what we do. I don't know. I mean, how do we do? <laughs> right. Well, it's like, what were some of the things that you did to bring that heartbeat back into like the artwork to to the work that you wanted to do? Because when you said decimate and flatten, I think of a flat line, creative yeah. death. Yeah. You know, and then you know, yep. Yep. You know, how do you? What was the defibrillators? <laughs> yeah. Um, what did I do? Lots of long walks on the beach. You know, we talked the last time we talked about looking for wonder. I I am astonished always by what I discover in nature or just the little things that pop up in my path. And so there's that. I read, I finally was able to start reading again. And my collages, which always help me um, sort of jumpstart my um, my reading, you know, by making collages. We talked about that um, last year. So those things, but honestly, I have to say the real, like the writing juices only started once this book was out there, born on pages. It really, it's just been in the last, um, so the book came out in paper on October 25th, I think it was. And it's just been in the last three weeks that I've started to go, oh, 
I know how to get into the story and I can see the scene. And I, you know, I have scenes written and stuff, but I hadn't figured out how it was all going to um, to just play on the page. And I'm beginning to um, to see it. And it's very exciting. So I think there's something to be said, <clears throat> Chris, in finishing our projects. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's where I was going to go is, is yeah. we don't really know as creative people what we're capable of until we actually finish and get something out. Yeah. And here's an incredible story I heard. I was with my husband at a party, an, a retirement party for um, an architect here in Portland, very successful and responsible for a lot of the Pearl District and, you know, a big and very inspirational guy. And he talked about, he went to Berkeley and he talked about taking a sculpture class because he'd always been fascinated with sculpture. The first week they were working in clay. So they were making these sculptures and and John said, mm, I really love this. I can't wait to take it home and show it to Barbara, you know? And at the end of the class, the teacher said, walked around with a big bucket and he said, throw it in here. Oh. Every student had to destroy what they had just made. Ooh, wow. Same with metal, same with, and by the end of class, they were all losing it. But wait, I love that. And do you know what the teacher, this professor at Berkeley said? The student said, why did you make us destroy our work like that? And he said, because you have to know you can do it again. I mean, I still cry every time I think of that Wow! because you have to believe that if you could do that, you could do it again and you could do it even better. And I have full body chills right now because that when he told that story, I thought, okay, I'm going to write this second book. I <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that was in the summer and, and it's just now. So I just think that in that face and you could talk, you could construe that throwing that beautiful sculpture in a bucket at the end of class as a rejection like the teacher is telling you this isn't any good throw it away but that's not what he was trying to get through to his students he was trying to say you did that and you can do it again and i think that's what we need to tell ourselves as creative people because when we get into these flatline depression we start to lose that vision of ourselves. Right. And that puts us in a really low, low place. And I think that opens up another point too of like when we're in those places, we don't think we can do it again, oftentimes because we're comparing ourselves to other artists. Yes. Yeah. No, it's like me, you know, write another book. I didn't even know I was good. You know, I, I, Absolutely. And then you look at the productivity of people around you. I will say that all the writers I know have really struggled since COVID. And, you know, I can see people coming out of it now. But there were a lot of people who could not, they couldn't read, you know, or write. All I did was knit for that. You know, I couldn't, I made millions of sweaters and vests and hats because <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't write. But, um, I think that's really true. I think that um, that we need to know 
that if we did it once, if we were able to craft this one perfect sentence or this one paragraph or look at this chapter, we can do it again. Yeah. It's it's it, we can do it again because it's all in us. We just need to we need to be our own best friends and our own best mentors and repeat that. Look, look, I've done this. I can do this. And I think hearing that story this summer, you know, about the sculpture class, it really I came home and I wrote it on a card and I and I thought, okay, I did that. I can I can do it again. And that all those little things that I listen to and take away and see in the trees or the lee, you know, or rainbows on the beach. I think you might have seen those pictures last week. It was like, oh my God. You know, those things all, if we allow them to find a space in us, they inspire us to keep going. Keep going. And I should say that part of my situation now as opposed to back when back when the events of of this book were happening is that I have the most supportive, wonderful life partner, my husband. And he, you know, there's something about him just supporting me and believing in me. And and honestly, in the end, it was him that said, nope, you're self-publishing. You're going to do this. And um, I thank him every day because it's been, like I said, extremely uh, rewarding and gratifying. I had a moment, an interesting moment as you were describing, you did it once, you can do it again. Mm. And I had this part of me that I heard up in, up in my head that said, yeah, but yeah, you can do a lot of little things mm. and you can do that really well. You can do it over and over again. You can do it again, but you haven't done anything big. Mm. Mm. And so it's, it's interesting how our mind can trick us into yep. believing. Yep that we can do it again. Yeah. And I, and I heard that doubt. Wow. That's, that's, well, they're always in there to, to torture us. They are, they just are. I mean, you can't believe some of the stuff I heard myself saying to myself when those rejections were rolling in. But I think if we learn anything this lifetime is that the, those two voices the ones where we find moments of inspiration, the moments that tell us, yes, we can do it. And the moments that say, ah, you're, you're fooling yourself. We need to elevate the, the Mm -hmm. positive and say, thanks for sharing that, but I'm going to ignore you right now. Thank you. And, you know, when you say you've done a lot of little things, Chris, I think you've done some pretty big things. I mean, your podcast for one, but I had never written a book before. I didn't even know I could write a book and I could make a fabulous slipcover. I mean, for all the years I was a single mom, I was, you know, sewing and designing interiors, you know, and I just think that anything that we really put our minds to and dedicate our our time and our resources to, I think there are rewards in that and i think we just have to keep you know plowing through those negative thoughts and keep that uh goal 
yeah. um, in front of us because you won't know that you could do it until you've done it. And um, I think that's that's one of life's biggest, you know, gifts and rainbow moments, fireworks, you know. Um, but they come small and they come with a lot of, like I said, potholes mm -hmm. in the mix. I mean, there's so much that we come to this life with that is important. And it's not only important to us, but it's important to where we are in this moment on our planet. We are here. We are in this seemingly um, very difficult point in human history. And um, there's a reason. I believe there's a reason we're all here at this moment. I know a lot of people would argue with that. but. Um, I think that, you know, it, it really comes down to what you believe. It doesn't matter what other people believe, because if you believe it, you can make it happen. It always seems with every conversation, there are so many takeaways. But with this one in particular, there were so many things that Kate was saying that I needed to hear for where I'm at in my own journey. And there's one section in particular that I want to shine a light on. It's where she said that if you've done something once, you can do it again. I don't know about you, but I've got a new idea that I'm working on for 2023. It's something that I've done similar before, but there's fear around it now. I'm not sure if I could pull it off again. And I needed to hear that story of I've done it once, I can do it again. Chances are you might be working on something for the new year that you are excited about, but also fearful. Look at what Kate said. Have you done it before? If you've done it once, you could do it again. And I think that is enough for any of us to get out of that stuck feeling and making progress toward bringing new work into the world. Be encouraged, be creative, and dip your toe back into the water because the world does need your voice. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life. <laughs>